talk to us a little bit this morning about gateways and being doorkeepers. And I thought, man, I could make this really weird and out there, uh, but it's not like that at all. Um, there's, in Psalm 84 and verse 10, I just love what this says. It's, it's better to be a doorkeeper, or, or, or better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What I love about that is that, that, that whole deal, right, of better is one moment with you, God, than a thousand moments anywhere else. We're seeing that this morning, just a moment with you, right? Just one moment in your presence, just one touch of your grace, just one moment of awareness throughout the portion, uh, any portion of my day makes it a, the day a whole lot better. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house. I'm like, I've often thought, what is a doorkeeper? I remember um, talking to our welcome team in Invercargill once. I was like, yeah, uh, Garth, you'd be in charge of the, the welcome team. Great. What kind of a character? This is the only biblical verse I could think of. Like, oh, talk to them about being doorkeepers, and this is what it means. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just pulling stuff out of the air. It means that you've got to reach people with a smile. And, and you, you know, when you, when you usher them into the house, it's not just with a plasticine grin. It's with an embrace and a, hey, it's yeah, so great to be with you. And all. You know, recently I found out what being a doorkeeper really was. Anyone, anyone know? Anyone want to take a guess? At, so... So in the temple, right, in Jerusalem, they had the inner and the outer court, and the doorkeepers were in place, not only to welcome people in with a nice smile and a handshake and a, and a hey, how are you doing? But the doorkeepers at the inner court were there to make sure who got in and who didn't, because only the Jews were allowed in the inner court. And so if you couldn't really tell, like, hey, uh, Ray, are you Jewish? Just say yes. 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 Um, <laughs> I don't believe you. Your accent uh, uh, belies what you're saying. So can you come and step into the side room with me? This is the, the role of the doorkeeper. I need to find out if you really are Jewish. Right? So what do, you, what do you mean? No, no, sit down. I don't want to do this for real. Because <laughs> the doorkeeper, the, 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 the final test for the doorkeeper are you circumcised? <laughs> that was one of their functions. Hey, Amen. I don't want that job anymore. <laughs> we don't tell our door team to do that either, by the way. Everybody's welcome into the house. <laughs> but, but, but this morning, I want to talk about the fact that we are all gateways and doorkeepers. You know, there's a story, one of my favorite stories about the house of God is in Genesis chapter 28. And if you want to turn there this morning, I'm going to read some of this out. There's a little bit of background context to what's happening here. This, this is Genesis 28, and probably from about verse 10, I'll read it. <laughs> but it's a story of Jacob and Esau. And at this stage of Jacob's life, he's fleeing for his life from his brother Esau. And I just, it's not part of the message, but this is just a bit of wisdom for life. If you have... If you've ticked someone off to the point where they're consoling themselves with the thought of killing you, right, you've, you've definitely taken it too far, right? And especially if your brother is described as being red and hairy, like some crazy-looking Chewbacca dude, you don't want him to be so angry with you that he wants to kill you, right? I just, I just spent 
a week in um, Fjordland with, with my great friend Israel and my brother. And when my brother and I came, were little, I would often console myself with the thought of killing him because he was two years older and he was always stronger, always better. All of his jokes were, were cl more clever than mine. And I remember one day I flew into a rage and grabbed Dad's butcher's knife out of, the, out, of the, out, out of the top drawer and chased him around the house with it, going, I'm going to kill you! <laughs> he was laughing because he didn't think that I was serious until when he was just about to disappear out of the lounge door, I threw the knife... <laughs> And it stuck into the wall. And he'd come back in and he's like, What did you do? Don't tell him, Mom. I'm telling Dad you're trying to kill me. So that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> but we managed the week in the bush together just fine. So, so Jacob's fleeing for his life because he's deceived his brother out of his birthright. Right? He's, 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 he's running away. I look at the life of Jacob and you know, when I think about him in general, I think, man, what an amazing man of God. His, his, his name gets changed to Isaac. He becomes the father of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Man, what a legacy this guy carries. But yet he was well, pretty nefarious in his treatment of his brother and his family and cheating him out of his birthright. And I'm like, dude. And in the midst of that phase of his life, he lies down and uses a rock for a pillow one night, which... That's silly. And then he has this crazy dream. <laughs> he had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said... I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep... He thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is really cool. I wonder if this works. <laughs> but there's a revelation contained in the dream that Jacob has in that place. And it's the revelation of what the house of God was originally intended to be. You know, there's this thing in, in, in Hebraic writing of the law of first mention, where the first time something is mentioned, it's got a ring true of every other mention that it has throughout the context of, 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 of when it's written. So this is the house of God, right? This is a place where, where angels are ascending and descending. This is a place of supernatural activity. This is a place where, where promises are, are imparted, where dreams are realized. This is a place of inheritance. This is a place of enlargement. This is a place of encounter. This is a place of his presence. This is a place called the gate of heaven. And it's not some weird kind of, man, I'm a doorkeeper to the gate of heaven, and if you are good enough and you come backstage afterwards, I'll open the door. <laughs> the gate of heaven! It's the gate of heaven! No, no. We are the gates of heaven. Why? Because we're the carriers of his presence. 
Jacob wakes up from his dream, and in verse 16, it says, he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. You know, I think that we can all feel like that at times. I don't know about you, but, but certainly that's been my experience, whether it's been in the midst of a church service or a prayer meeting or some other kind of uh, context, a worship night or whatever it is, and, and, and it looks like everybody around me is like fully experiencing the presence of God. I'm like, ah, nah, just, just feels pretty normal to me, right? I, I remember when I was at Bible college in Sydney, one of the lecturers said to us once, oh, I want you to um, just take a moment and pray and, and, and ask God to give you a scripture and he's going to talk to you about something uh, particular in your life and, and for the next uh, month we're going to, uh, I don't know, go down this track of keeping a journal around all that. I'm going, oh, what if he says nothing, right? Like, like I'm, I'm, and suddenly everybody in the class is praying and, 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 and looking for an insight from God. God, man, I'm freaking out. God, man, what if God says nothing? I'm flicking randomly through the Bible, going, oh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that one. <laughs> but I was afraid that I'd be the one person in the class that wouldn't feel his presence and wouldn't know what to do. And yet, when I simply just took a moment Sure, I closed my eyes and I said, God, what is it that you want to speak to me about? A verse came to mind that I never remembered reading before. I went, oh, really? Because just give me a random uh, chapter and verse there. Turn to it and, and amen. I just, I, I mean, you know, I love that we call Jesus the, the Word, right? He's the Word that becomes flesh because why do we call him the Word? Because he's always got something to say. Just a good way to think about it. You know, it's my experience that, you know, we can take a step, but God will leap a mile to meet us. Mm. Jacob and his expression of what he'd experienced after he had the dream was, man, how awesome is this place, right? And he's not just talking about this place as in the church that we understand it as we gather together in a, in a, in a Sunday context. And I love that this is part of being church. This is, this is a great expression of who we are. This is a place we come together and, and, and we make a boast about our God and we celebrate who he is and we connect and we encourage each other and we, we do life together and we build relationship. I think that's a very important part of, of everything that we do. But church, I mean, we understand, right, is, is much more than this. It's, it's we are church. We are, I don't know, created and called to be an expression of God in every environment that we find ourselves I just think that's the reaction or the response that we want people to have when we would invite them into this kind of context. Like, man, how awesome! How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place that you call church? How awesome is this place of worship? How amazing is this place where I've encountered his presence? That's one of the things that I love about us gathering together because it's the gate of heaven. But we need to make sure that it's accessible, right? Because if, if this is the gate of heaven, if, if there's something about the house of God that says this is the gate of heaven and we're doorkeepers in his house, we've got to make sure that it's accessible to everybody. Now, there's, a, there's an amazing story that we're not going to read through, but, but probably the first three chapters of the book of Nehemiah. 
who's this guy who's living in captivity as a cupbearer to a foreign king. Uh, he hears about the state of the ruined city of Jerusalem, which is his hometown, and it says that he, he went and, and mourned for days. He, he, he broke down over hearing about the destruction of his city and the, and, and the desolate state that it, it was in, so that the next time he appeared before the king's presence as his cupbearer, bought him some wine or whatever it was he was drinking, the, cup, the, 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 the king saw the expression on his face and says, well, I've never seen you sad in my presence. This can be none other than sickness of the heart. What is it that you would like? And Nehemiah has the boldness to pour out this great list of basically kind of demands. Like, oh, I want you to send me back to Jerusalem and I want you to give me uh, letters uh, so I can chop down this guy's forest and, and supply and I want you to resource me with soldiers and, and so I can reconstruct the walls of the city. And, and, and the king sends him off. He turns up and he surveys. He, he doesn't take anyone else with him. He goes and surveys the, the level of destruction of the city. To, to the point where he, he, he can't get around it. He has to get off of his donkey and lead it outside of the city so he can see it from afar. He goes back and he says to the, to, to, to the city elders or the city rulers, dude, I've got this, dude, I've got this great plan. We're going to rebuild the walls of the city. They're like, ah, Nehemiah, that's kind of impossible. Joke's uh, on you. He's like, no, dude, I've seen it. We, we, we can do it. And he starts to call the whole community together. And, and, and he gets this really odd and, and eclectic bunch of people working together in community to rebuild the walls of the entire city. If you read through it, it lists different uh, family names and all this kind of stuff. But it, but, it, but it says in the midst of that that there was he, he got the goldsmiths and the perfume makers and the merchants. And, and the only people that refused to do any of the work that he was calling them to was the, the, the nobles, the, the elite upper class. They, they refused to, to help build their section of the wall because someone else was going to have responsibility over them. Like, man, that's saying something. But in the midst of rebuilding all the walls, it says that they rebuilt all these different gates that were part of it. It says they rebuilt the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the, the horse, the east, and the inspection gate. And, and for me, I just go, all of these things are important because they all speak of accessibility to the house or to the city or to the place of presence and, to, and, and into, the, into, the, into the, oh, the, the house of God. So the sheep gate, right, says that Nehemiah and, and all the people that were helping him helped to rebuild the sheep gate. And, and I think of it this way. The sheep gate is, is like, that's us, right? We're, we're, we're the believers. We're the, we're the ones that are already in. We, we come bleeding through the sheep gate like, ah, how was your weekend? Ah, how was your day? And, you know, so, but, but it's great. We love doing that. It's really cool. And it says that they rebuilt the fish gate. And, and this is, there's, there's no deep theological context to what I'm saying. This is just a good way of viewing the, the passages of Scripture. The fish gate for me is kind of representative of salvation, right? Remember the story in Luke chapter 5 when, when, when Jesus sent them out to go fishing again. And uh, Ray preached an amazing message on this when he was with us in, in Christchurch, which people still talk to me about today. Like, when is Ray coming back? Well, <laughs> as many times as we can have him. That's how many times he's coming back. And they, but, but, but Jesus instructs the, the, the disciples to throw the nets out again, even though they'd caught nothing all night. Next minute, they've got so many fish that the, that the boats are sinking. And after that, 
he says to, to, to Peter, you know, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Right? And he's speaking to him about souls being saved and people coming into the kingdom of heaven. We've got to make sure that our fish gate is not all rusty and, and, and hard to open. Sure. You're allowed in. But not your friends. Right? No, no, it's accessible to everybody. It says that they rebuilt the old gate, which, which to me, I just go, well, it means we've got to be accessible to all ages, right? The, 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 the gospel is no less relevant no matter what generation you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. It's, it's still the power of God unto all who believe. And, and I, I've got a firm belief that, that there's a move of God for every generation. We don't just need to live in the glories of the past. We don't just need to be waiting and believing and hoping for something for the future. There's something for us right now it's good. in regards to what God's doing in our midst. That's good. It talks about the valley gate, which really is just there for the people who are stuck in the valley of decision, right? or, or maybe stuck in a rut in life. They're going round and round the mountain looking for a way out, but they can't seem to help themselves because the mountains seem too high to climb, right? Well, you about to think about Jesus in that situation, right? Well, well, well I'm, the, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm with you. Even if you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you, right? No mountain is too hard to climb. I, I love, what was the, the song, Reckless Love, that we sing? Um, you know, there's no mountain he won't climb up. No, no Dory won't kick down, right? Like, like, I just love all of the all the things it says in there. I'm like, yeah, that's so right. There's no lie he won't tear down, because he loves us so much. Doesn't matter what position we find ourselves in in life, no matter what valley, no matter how deep and dark it might seem. That's good. good. He's the one that helps us climb out of it. Again, when we're we're we're, we're wandering around last week in the wilderness. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking the guys up and down the mountain. But I, I know that we're going up so we can go down so we can go up. But I'm not telling everybody that. Going, no, no, we just get to the top. <laughs> Come on, lads, let's get to the top. Why are we up here for? Oh, so we can go down there. Oh, what are we doing down here? Oh, so we can go up there. So we can go up this mountain. <laughs> Life can feel like that sometimes, right? He talks about the, the dung gate. And this is probably my favorite gate. Every church needs a dung gate. And it's not just so that we can shovel the out, right? Like, ooh, don't want that in here. Ooh, oh, that smells. Ooh, put that out the door. No, no, the dung gate's there. So we've got an invitation to everyone whom life is simply overwhelmed. The dung gate for me is not the gate where we throw the excrement out. The dung gate is the gate where we're saying, you know what? Warts and all, come, come on in. Because yeah, one of my favorite, I don't know, understandings or ideas about who God is is that He's not a God who's waiting for us to clean up before He calls us. That's good. He's not yeah. saying, "Oh, you need so a clean up before you I can do anything with you." He's saying, "No, no, it's warts and all. It, it, it's come with your muddy boots on. You you don't need to clean up any of the stuff of life. I want you as you are." So each one of us, in the sense, is, and there's a whole bunch of other gates, but each one of us, in a sense, is a gateway, 
right? We're, 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 we're a gateway of friendship, of, of love, of hope, of acceptance, of generosity, of kindness, of, of love, of support, of provision to everybody else around us. And we're his representatives on the earth. We're the ones who say, hey, wow, this is what our king looks like. This is who Jesus is. This is, what, this is the heart of our father. He'll love you where you're at. He'll love you in the midst of any and every situation. But we oftentimes, I, 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 it's just something that I find, that we, at times we, we get so busy with this understanding that oh, if we build it, they will come, right? If we, if we busy ourselves with building and being and doing something great that's attractive, then other people will just naturally turn it, which is, which is true, right? There's, there's, there's truth in that, of course. People want to come and see, and, and they'll hear about it, and all that kind of, kind of deal. If, if we build it, they'll come. If we build it, they'll come. But we do that to the point where we forget to say, ah, oh, but if we invite them, <laughs> oh, if we invite them, then they'll come, right? I understand the idea of inviting someone can be scary, right? Because what if they say no? I don't know how many times I've invited my brother to come to church. He's probably said no 22, 23 times. But he said yes once. In fact, he probably said no more times after he said yes <laughs> uh, but, but, but I do I invite people all the time I invite mum and dad I invite them to the church in Invercargill that I no longer attend to because that's where they live I, oh, it's probably easier for you to go there than come to Christchurch <laughs> try back again that's quite a long way but there's power in invitation yeah. you know have you, you ever seen those survival programs and when they when they light a fire in the wilderness, I don't know why they don't just have a lighter like this. So much easier. But they get the wee flint and steel, and it, sure, that's pretty cool. Do you know an invitation's just like that, right? You you, you get a bunch of tinder, and you put your, your flint and your steel down here, and you and this it's sparking, but it's not igniting instantly. It's good. But eventually, if you just keep inviting someone. <laughs> My knuckles are bleeding. <laughs> the spark will ignite a flame. Someone will eventually say yes. Yeah, and on my journey in faith, pretty much began when Pastor Israel started to invite me to his men's group. We are working at the, at the freezing works together. And, and I remember him coming up and saying, hey, uh, you know, because we were friends. Say, oh, do you want to come to this um, group I've got at my house on, on Thursday night? It's just a bunch of guys gathering together. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't. But I actually did, right? He, he, he didn't know what sparks he was throwing out. He didn't know what flame he was about to ignite. I'm like, no, I don't want to come. Why, did, why was I saying I don't want to come? Because I thought that if I said yes, I would look weak. Right? What do I need a bunch of guys for? What do I need to go to someone else's house for? I'm fine living by myself, crying myself to sleep, hating life. 
Oh, it's perfect! <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> then in the next week, he would invite me. I'd say, no, I don't know, nah. And then he'd invite me again. Um, maybe. Then he'd invite me again. Yeah, okay, I'll come. And I wouldn't come. <laughs> invite me again, and I'd say, yes, I want to come. But I wouldn't come. Yes, but I'm not there. Yes, but no. Who, many, how, who gets frustrated when people do that? Right? I do. <laughs> I'm going to turn up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to turn up at 5 o'clock. So you're going to be ready. Quarter past 5. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but then he stopped inviting me. Like, everybody look at Israel. <laughs> <laughs> I said yes so many times it didn't turn out. And then he didn't invite me. Like, well, what am I going to do now? I actually want to go. <laughs> I would sit in the lunchroom, right? It's like, I don't know, 60 odd people there. I'm staring across the lunchroom in Israel. <laughs> invite me. I'm not saying it out loud because I still don't want to look weak. But inside, I'm saying, invite me. He's, he's, he's over in the corner of the, 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 the meat factory, We're sealing up the boxes and, and doing his job. I'm over the other side of the room. I've got, I've got a pause and the meat coming down the belt. I'm looking at him saying, invite me. Would you invite me? I, man, maybe if I just think about it hard enough, invite me one more time. Because I'll say yes and I'll come. I'm so desperate. I'm so lonely. I feel so broken. If you invite me, I'll come. Eventually, I went to church on the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I turned up to his house the next Thursday because he invited me again, which was great. And then he couldn't get rid of me. I'd sit in his house till 3 o'clock in the morning and ask him and Michelle questions about Jesus. You know, we can't underestimate the power of invitation. One of the people in my life when I got born again I had three friends who I, I suddenly decided well they're never going to get saved so uh, I gave one all of my death metal CDs <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to hurt bro you're going to hell uh, <laughs> that was my honest thinking I had bad theology I don't know um, one of the other ones uh, one of my other friends who I thought would never come after about a year of being at church I started to feel like I should invite him. And so I did exactly what Israel had done for me. I invited him week after week after week after week after week. But he would never turn up. He would say yes, but not be there. Eventually, one Sunday, I went, oh, enough's enough. I've, 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 I've got to go and find him. And I tried to find him before on Sunday. Drove to his house. He wasn't there. Started going to all the different places we used to hang out together. He wasn't there. Eventually, by the end of the day, because I've been to the morning service, the night service was about to start. I said, well, God, I've, I've been looking for him. I can't find him. I went to somewhere. Out of the way, we hippie community in the woods. Um, and because uh, I knew he knew someone there. I turned up and went, well, he wasn't there. But the neighbors come out and said, oh, what are you doing? Who are you looking for? I said, oh, I'm looking for my mate was his name. I said, oh, really, what are you looking for him for? 
said, oh, because I want to invite him to church and I think today's the day he needs to come. And they said to me, wow, well, um, we've, been, we've been talking with Rick for about the last month, six weeks, and uh, we've just been sitting in our home right now praying that he would go to church today. Wow. So now I'll go to his home one more time. Walked up to his driveway, knocked on his door, and there was no answer. Oh, well, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go to church. Got to start. Turned to walk down the driveway, and the Holy Spirit said to me, just go inside. And my honest thought was, oh, no, God, uh, I'm not allowed to break into houses anymore. I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> but I walked up the driveway, and luckily the front door was unlocked. I walked down. I was wandering around. Went down to the bedrooms, and there's one with the door closed, so I opened it up. As I opened the door, my friend sat bolt upright on his bed, and before I said a word, he said, I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? I turned up and looking for you everywhere. He goes, ah, oh, are we going to church? I said, yeah, we, we are. And he leapt out of bed. He's going, let's go. I said, No. Put some pants on. <laughs> well, this was a true story. As he's searching for his pants on his, on his messy bedroom floor, he says, oh, dude, there's a poem on the wall that I wrote at my anger management class that the corpse made me go to. I want you to read it because part of it's about you. I'm reading through this poem that he's, that he's hastily scribbled together. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a few lines in it that, that say something along... The lines of this, there's, there's friends that come and there's friends that go, but there's friends who seem to turn up in the right moments. And it was, I don't remember the exact language, but it was that kind of deal. And in his poem it said that those friends are a godsend. And as I was reading it, he's standing over my shoulder now with his pants firmly on. <laughs> and he says, bro, that's you, right? You're, you're, you're that friend for me. We took him to church, had an amazing, amazing night. He, 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 he got up out of his chair before the visiting preacher had even given the altar call and wandered down the front. I was like, oh my God, he's gone crazy. No one does that. <laughs> <laughs> the guy stops his preaching, comes and prays for him and falls on the ground. And I drop him off home afterwards and he's sitting in the car crying. He's asking me the question, what happened tonight? And I said, well, you tell me why you went down the front first. He goes, well, I don't know why I went down. I just felt like I couldn't not do it. And, and he said, this felt like this thing punched me in the stomach. And it felt so good. Anyway, he had an amazing encounter with God. And he went on a journey for the next couple of years. He ended up coming to my home one night about two years later. His life had kind of fallen apart. He knocked on the door late one night and I, I let him in. I said, oh, you can tell when something's wrong. Something, you know, you look at someone's face. I said, bro, what's wrong? He goes, well, I was just driving out to the woods so I could um, string myself up. But I couldn't stop seeing your face and couldn't stop hearing this voice that said to come to your house, so here I am. And he goes, it's funny, because now that I've, I've invited him in, because now that I'm in, I, that same thing I felt all those years ago, I can feel in your home. Will you pray for me? 
tried to pray for him or give him a cup of tea because what else are you going to do? He asked me if I had a Bible for him. I said, oh, bro, I, I, I do. I went dug wee Gideon's Bible out of my bedside drawer. The amazing thing was in this wee Gideon's Bible, I've been sitting down years prior when I first got saved. I just got so excited about seeing people get to know Jesus that I'd written in it a, 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 a date. I, I didn't have a name, but I had so-and-so will be saved on oh, well, this date. So I wrote the date in there. I gave him the book, and he's opening up and looking through it. Oh, great. And he sees the writing in the front of it. It's the exact same date that he was sitting in my home that night. Your invitation is so very, very powerful. If I can finish with this, I just, I just want to pray a quick prayer. There's an amazing parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 14 about the, the banquet, right? This, this amazing feast that someone's prepared. When it comes time for the banquet to be had, nobody who has been invited turns up. They all have their excuses. I've just got married. I've just bought a block of land. I've just got some new oxen that I needed to, to put to work. So they didn't come the owner of the banquet said to his servants, well, go out and to the streets and invite the, the poor, the crippled, the, the blind and the lame. And the servant says, well, I've, I've already done that. He goes, well, go out into the highways and the byways and invite everybody to come. Because I want my house to be full. Well, why did you invite the, the, the poor God wants the poor to be made rich. Why did he invite the crippled? Because he wants the crippled to be made whole. Mm. Why did he invite the blind? Because he wants them to see, the, 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 the lame to be able to walk. And I love what it ends with. That it's because he wants his house to be full. And we don't judge a church by how many bums are on seats. That's, I think it's quite crass. But there's a fullness here. There's a fullness of presence. There's a, there's a fullness of relationship that, that, that speaks to me of, of, of a healthy house, of an amazing place of encounter, of, of a beautiful place of worship. And on your third birthday, I, I've got to applaud that, the, the, the courage to, to step out and go, you know what, Church Untamed in Cromwell doesn't exist, but you wait, Right? We're going to start to invite people and they're going to come and, and those people are going to invite people and they're going to come. I want us just to pray for a moment. This is the end. Not of all life. That was a bit extreme. But all of us, can we stand to our feet this morning? Now all of us can probably think of people in our worlds that we'd love to see in connection or in relationship with Jesus, or even fellowshipping in an environment like this, even if they're non-believers, getting people to come into a place of connection and community where there's a genuine sense of, of love and acceptance. Because we believe that people belong before they believe. God created every single person on the face of the earth, and he's willing that none would perish. I'm completely happy for 
any person from any walk of life to come into the house of God and feel like they belong even before they believe. And Father, this morning, we just want to lift up in our worlds all the people that we know, whether they're, they're family members that we've been inviting and talking to for years or, or friends that seem so belligerent and opposed to the things of God that, that their, 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 their hearts are so hardened. Well, Father, we, we, we just declare this morning the breaking of the hardened, hardest of hearts, a softening of hearts of those that are in our sphere of influence, in our realm of influence in this world, whether it's a workmate or a school friend. Father, we bless them this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we invite them. We, we, we send out an invitation in the Spirit over the, over the province of, 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 of Otago, over the, the town of Cromwell this morning. We say that, that, that it's going to become so easy to invite people, not just into church in the Sunday context, but into the experience of the house of God, the family of faith where they get to know that, Father, you're the one who wants to bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them and give them peace. To cause them to prosper and to walk in life in a whole new way. So we declare a softening of hearts this morning. We declare salvation over those who have seemed so resistant to the idea. Father, we ask that you would pour out upon them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and open up the eyes of their understanding. And that no matter where they're at in life, whether it's the lowest of the low or they're at the highest of the high, like, man, I'm untouchable, I'm invincible. There's no greater height that I could ascend to. Father, we ask that they would just encounter you. Father, whether they're in the, 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 the horrible pit and the miry clay, God, there's nothing that you cannot rescue us out of. Your right arm is not too short to say it. We bless them this morning with your presence and with your grace, with the, with the overwhelming loving goodness of our Father who is for us and not against us. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Can we say amen to that this morning, church? Amen. amen.